Hello, everybody, and welcome to Virtual Legality Live. I'm very glad to be here with you all. And this is a new kind of new format that we're doing here in Virtual Legality. You're used to seeing me do these in video on demand. I'll still probably do some of those sometimes, but this worked out a little bit better for me today to do it live with you all. And I think we get a little bit better feedback and comments and questions when we do it in this format. So yes, I can already see the chat. I am not wearing a hat. That is true. Your eyes are not deceiving you. I had a board meeting today. If you can believe it, I do law from time to time. And so I don't generally wear my ball caps to board meetings. So here you have me without a hat in a collared shirt, the whole thing, full lawyer for you all today. And I did want to mention before we get started that as some of you may already know, when I get going on a virtual legality, I tend to focus pretty clearly on my source material and what we're going to talk about. I'll do that again today. So as you can see in the pinned comment in the chat right now, if you've got questions or comments that you want to throw at me that you want to make sure that I see and that I respond to, I'll be doing those afterwards when we get done with the source material. And yes, I was going to ask, I see another chat that the audio is a bit rough. I've got my mic off to the side here. If that's working great, let me know if there's a problem. If that isn't working, I can move my mic back in front of me if that's not if that's not getting you the audio that you need. So please do let me know that in chat. I'm watching that as well. And then we'll get started talking about one of the biggest, well, let's see, brouhaha's of the day. Yes, brouhaha. I'm bringing it back, folks. Bringing it back. Um, so let's let's get started with that. So what is Unity? What is the Unity engine? For those of you that don't know, Unity is a set of tools that helps game developers create the worlds that we experience when we play their video games. And look, I'm a lawyer. I'm the wrong guy to ask on the tech side, the programming side, the code side. My brother is a game developer. He knows all this a little bit better than me, but he doesn't code. He doesn't make tools himself. The important part is when you think of a game being made, whether it's Unity, whether it's Unreal, it's a set of tools that help developers realize their visions in a video game environment. Unity is just one of those, but it's a very popular one. And why was it so popular? Well, primarily because it marketed itself as the engine for the little guy or gal, right? You see here the personal license Unity is quote unquote free. You have to be pretty small to get that revenue or funding of less than 100 grand in the last 12 months but you could just start up and make video games with the Unity engine and go from there. Now, the big problem with this, if you're a company, is that you don't have a great way to necessarily make money from this. You can get your name out there, you can become very popular, you see the Unity brand name in front of video games all over the place. That's great for the developers, it's great for people that wanna get their feet wet in this space, maybe not so great as a business model long-term. And I think that's some of what we're seeing Unity react to right now. You've seen them get business deals and arrangements and a CEO that's more focused on making money, more of what we would consider the traditional business model of licensing software and tool sets. And that's one of the things that's happened here, but it might have left some game developers in the lurch. Before we get into that, I do want to mention, because this is a virtual legality, because I had a bit of a medical mishap this year that has kept me a few episodes behind that this channel is supported by viewers and listeners like you through Player, formerly Utreon, and Patreon. And then at one of those tiers, you can sponsor a specific episode. And today's episode is sponsored by the Scarecrow 121. Not sure if that's their given name or not, but thank you so much, the Scarecrow 121, for supporting our channel. I really, really appreciate it. I cannot do it without support from people like you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, 
Let's talk about Unity plan pricing and packaging updates. You never want to see a headline like this, folks, when they just have a bland, uh, some, some about pricing. We're going to talk a little bit about changing our pricing in some way. It's generally not a good thing. If it's a good thing, they will highlight that with stars and exclamation points and explosions and things. Big discount. Nope, not a big discount. So they give us a too long didn't read at the top of their own press release, which is interesting. Effective January 1st, 2024, we will introduce a new Unity runtime fee that's based on game installs. Now that's pretty new for video gaming in general, right? They're gonna base a fee, we'll see it's a flat fee based on the number of times that you, a product using their engine is installed. Now remember, if you aren't in game development, if you don't even play video games that often, these are not the people making the games, right? Unity makes the tools for the people that makes the games. And now they're saying, hey, if you used our tool set to make your game, we're gonna get a small, bit of money for each time your game is installed. Now, the big problem with that in video games is that unlike other markets, which are pretty pretty normalized, right? You go and you buy a DVD or you go and you, you buy a mechanical pencil, whatever it is in the real world, it's, it's not something that has this kind of free-to-play concept so often. And video games have a number of different business models that are working in the market right now, including free-to-play, right? You think of your Fortnites, where you can play it for free, but then they charge you for cosmetics, they charge you for all sorts of things, they make billions of dollars doing it. Or you have a subscription model, like an Xbox Game Pass that has you give Microsoft $15 a month, and then you get access to a big library of games, which means you download a lot more games than you might otherwise do, and a lot more games that maybe you only play for a few minutes and you're not very interested in. But in a world in which a game developer is being charged for game installs, you can see how a game developer might get really concerned about an arrangement like that. So in a market like video games, where there are a number of different business models, this creates a number of question marks that it doesn't look like Unity either fully thought through or is reacting very, very quickly to a lot of pushback from the public. And that's never a good sign if you want to have trust in your business partners either. So let's continue. As many of you know, the Unity engine is in fact two substantial software components, the Unity editor, and the Unity Runtime. Unity Runtime is code that executes on player devices and makes made with Unity games work at scale with billions of monthly downloads. We are introducing a Unity Runtime fee that is based upon each time a qualifying game, and I don't think this term is ever used again in this press release, but I did highlight it because qualifying is interesting. I think it just refers to these thresholds, but it doesn't otherwise get discussed, is downloaded by an end user. We chose this because each time a game is downloaded, the Unity Runtime is also installed. Also, we believe that an initial install-based fee allows creators to keep the ongoing financial gains from player engagement, unlike a revenue share. So here is their first kind of defensive stance within this press release, right? As we're looking at this, they know this is going to be received poorly, right? They're asking for more money, and they're asking for more money from people that are invested in a product, right? You get a tool set, you're using that for years and years and years before you have a commercially viable product to put out in the market, and that's what game developers are dealing with yesterday and today which is, okay, I've devoted four or five years of my life into making a video game using Unity. The terms were pretty much free before. Now they're not. What do I do? And Unity says, well, you're going to owe us this money. And worse, you're going to owe us this money if your game was put out to market three years ago based on sales that happened after this January 1st, 2024 date, if you hit these thresholds. What are those thresholds? Games qualify for this fee, i.e. you owe us money, when the game has passed a minimum revenue threshold in the last 12 months, and a minimum lifetime install count. Remembering that video games can have very high install counts when they're sold on a free-to-play basis or through a subscription service. 
Only games that meet the following thresholds qualify for the Unity runtime fee. Unity Personal and Unity Plus, those are their kind of more basic packages. Those that have made $200,000 in U.S. currency or more in the last 12 months and have at least 200,000 lifetime game installs. Or under Unity Pro and Unity Enterprise, you have to hit a threshold of a million U.S. dollars and a million lifetime game installs. The first thing that I'm reading this and noticing here is that it very much seems to me like Unity wants to push people out of personal and into pro and enterprise. Now, that's not a huge surprise in and of itself, because if we look at these, those are where they make them a lot of money, right? They've got this industry product, which is relatively new. That's almost $5,000 per seat per installed version of Unity tools at a given uh, employer. And also at the individual level, Unity Pro is $2,000 per seat. So they want to move people out of the free uh, sales program and into the more expensive one. That's not unusual at all. But it is a little bit unusual to have their entire kind of ground support at this free grassroots game development level and then turn it on them like this as we're seeing in the last couple of hours. With this new policy, as of January 1st, 2024, we will offer Unity Personal to anyone regardless of how much revenue they make to provide more flexibility in how creators manage their licenses. So as I just said, they want to move people into the more expensive. They're offering the free version because the free version now isn't so free. And because the previous threshold of $100,000 doesn't make any sense for this threshold they now have for $200,000. So they're going to let you have their free tool set, but you're going to owe this runtime fee. And they think that with these defensive statements, right, we don't want to, we don't want to charge a revenue share and we're going to allow you to use the free version, even if you make a lot of money that they've defended themselves from what might be a groundswell of negative opinion making. But of course, I'm making a video here and it's got fire in the thumbnail because they didn't avoid that groundswell of negative opinion making at all. And why didn't they do that? Well, for many of the reasons we've already talked about, but also because while avoiding a revenue share is great, like you don't want to pay royalties on every dollar that you make if you're a game developer, having a fee that you don't know when will hit and how much because you don't know what who will install your game is arguably worse, right? There's a value to development. There's value to every business in the world of budget certainty, of knowing what your exposure is, how much money you could possibly owe from doing this specific activity. And what Unity seems to have created here, from my perspective, is a world in which the game developer puts a game out into the world and doesn't know whether it'll make them money or cost them money, which is a significantly higher risk than just Am I going to make zero dollars from this or am I going to make money and be able to pay my rent or buy a house this year? So Unity has really shifted the math a lot with this. And a lot of game developers have reacted because what we'll see is in normalized markets, what they don't call emerging markets here, it's 20 cents per install under their personal plan, which is a lot of money when you start looking at numbers, when you think about how many games can get downloaded and installed on people's computers. That number goes down as you pay Unity more money, as you might expect. But it also gets worse in that when you look at what they further said, oh, excuse me, there is a fee reduction for use of Unity services. Qualifying customers may be eligible for credits towards the Unity runtime fee based on the adoption of Unity services beyond the editor, such as Unity gaming services or Unity level play mediation for mobile ad supported games. This program enables deeper partnership with Unity and makes Unity more money to succeed across the entire game lifecycle. Please reach out to your account manager to learn more. So again, all of this seems to be to put pressure on you to get out of free and to buy more Unity stuff in order to get away from this fee and to not cripple your business, which I think is what they're aimed at. We can certainly disagree with how they've gone about doing this, but 
that appears to be how this is all set up, right? When you think of these kinds of pricing models, you might think of your local movie theater or even PlayStation Plus, just in the gaming environment, where you've got different options and different tiers. And it's clear when you start to look at like value per dollar or percent, depending on what we're talking about here, what actual product the movie theater or game hardware provider wants you to purchase, right? Here you can see that Unity basically wants you out of personal and into enterprise. And what we'll see even more is that they may not want to be supporting game development much at all, right? Unity is shifting its business model and we're seeing that in effect as we're watching in real time. But game developers are what we're talking about today and they aren't very happy with it at all. Innersloth put out a tweet. They are the makers of Among Us. They said this would harm not only us, but fellow game studios of all budgets and sizes. If this goes through, we'd delay content and features our players actually want to port our game elsewhere as others are considering. But many developers won't have the time or means to do the same. Stop it. Why the face? As they might otherwise say, right? So Inner Sloth says that. AgroCrab says today Unity announced they'll soon be taking a fee from developers for every copy of the game installed over a certain threshold, regardless of how that copy was obtained. Guess who has a somewhat highly anticipated game coming to Xbox Game Pass in 2024? That's right, it's us and a lot of other developers. That means another Crab's treasure will be free to install for the 25 million Game Pass subscribers. If a fraction of those users download our game, Unity could take a fee that puts an enormous dent in our income and threatens the sustainability of our business. And that's before we even think about sales on other platforms or pirated installs of our game. Yes, piracy is a fact of life in video game development or even multiple installs by the same user. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. This decision puts us and countless other studios in a position where we might not be able to justify using Unity for our future titles. If these changes are rolled back, we'll be heavily considering abandoning our wealth of Unity expertise we've accumulated over the years and starting from scratch in a new engine, which is really something we'd rather not do. On behalf of the dev community, we're calling on Unity to reverse the latest in a string of short-sighted decisions that seem to prioritize shareholders over their product's actual users. I hate it here. Agro crab. Yes. Indeed, AgroCrab. And, and this continued throughout social media on Twitter and elsewhere or X. And that's one of the reasons we're going to see Unity react really quickly. Cult of the Lamb, a very popular indie game that was released last year, says buy Cult of the Lamb now because we're deleting it on January 1st. Yep. This was a response from a lot of folks. And I don't know how to pronounce this name, actually. Xelavier Nelson Jr. Sorry. Xelavier, probably. I'm hearing at least one significant group of developers is talking a class action lawsuit against Unity. We'll talk about that as well, because one of the questions that I got in my direct messages and emails a lot yesterday was, can they even do this? And we'll talk about that from a legal perspective as well as an ethical one. But it's, as always, a fairly complicated question. Unity quickly kind of backpedaled and started trying to answer questions as quickly as they could. Today, we announced a change to our business model, which includes new additions to our subscription plans and the introduction of a runtime fee. We wanted to provide clarifying answers to the top questions most of you are asking. Those are the best kind of answers. Yes, this is a price increase, and it will only affect a small subset of current Unity editor users. Now, that's interesting. It's undoubtedly true that most games and game developers that use the tool set aren't going to put a product out into the market that makes a ton of money. But that isn't really an answer to the question of those that are more professionally oriented and want to make money with the Unity engine. Today, a large majority of Unity editor users are currently not paying anything and will not be affected by this change. The Unity runtime fee will not impact the majority of our developers. 
The developers who will be impacted are generally those who have successful games and are generating revenue way above the thresholds we outlined in our blog. This means that developers who are still building their business and growing their audience will not pay a fee. The program was designed specifically this way to ensure developers could find success before the install fee takes effect. We want to be clear that the counter for Unity runtime fee install starts on January 1st, 2024. It is not retroactive or perpetual, which is kind of true. It's also kind of not true because what is retroactive and perpetual is the thresholds, right? So when we talk about what's been downloaded 200,000 times, what's made $200,000, that's all retroactive to when it goes into effect. We will charge once for a new install, not an ongoing perpetual license royalty like revenue share. We looked for ways to lessen the impact on developers and provide ways to bring the runtime fee to zero. If you're using any of our ad products, Unity Gaming Services or Cloud Services, please contact us to discuss discounts. Now, those sentences look like they're related, but they aren't really, right? And this is where people get a bad vibe, I think, about Unity. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that vibe is wrong, right? Unity says, we tried to make it less. If you're using some of our other products, if you're giving us money in a different way, talk to us. We might be able to reduce it further. Is indicative of a company that doesn't necessarily need this money for the purposes it's describing, as long as you're otherwise giving them money in some other way, right? So it, it comes across as a little sleazy, even if we're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? They say we need this runtime fee to do coding on our runtime feature, which allows Unity games to work best on multiple platforms. I don't know. I'm not technically savvy enough on this issue to tell you whether or not that's all BS or not. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Assume that's true. When you say things like this, it starts to sound just like a scheme, right? It's the it's the car dealer telling you, oh yeah, I can probably take a little bit off of that if you buy our warranty on tires or what have you. We are actively listening to you and following your questions closely. Please review our FAQ on today's announcement. We also invite you to continue to discuss these changes with us on our forums. And they have this FAQ. And I have to tell you, when I read this FAQ is when I actually decided to make this video because this is where I, there are really big red flags for me personally. And again, I'm not a game developer. I'm not using this engine. I'm not using an alternative engine. This is not me invested in one engine or another. But when I look at this as a corporate lawyer type person, I say, oh, those are not definitions. Those are not answers that I would tell my client to feel very good about if they were asking me my opinion on these things. So what is the Unity runtime fee? We are introducing a Unity runtime fee that applies to certain Unity subscription plans based on a per game install across any Unity supported game platform. Creators only pay once per download. Well, that's good. What is the Unity runtime fee revenue for? Each time a game is downloaded, Unity's runtime code is also installed. The Unity runtime fee goes towards the continued investment in that code to support the billions of devices served each month. How is the Unity runtime fee calculated? If a game or app meets the minimum thresholds for eligibility, the Unity runtime fee will be calculated based on the applicable rate multiplied by the number of eligible installs. The fee schedule for Unity Pro and Unity Enterprise provides tiered rates with volume discounts for higher numbers of installs. For a game with a high number of installs spanning more than one tier, the first volume tier will be charged at the first per install rate and the second volume tier at the next rate and so on. For example, let's take a look at a hypothetical game made by a team using Unity Pro with the following revenue and install numbers. Revenue made from the last 12 months, $2 million. Lifetime installs, $5 million. The Unity runtime fee will apply to this game as it surpasses the million dollar revenue and million dollar lifetime install thresholds for Unity Pro. Now let's take a look at the game installs from the last month. Prior month installs from standard fee countries are 200,000. Prior month installs from emerging market fee countries are 100,000. So the fee for install activity, remember this is a brand new fee for folks that didn't otherwise have to pay this before this change is 23,500 US dollars. That's for the month. 
So you can multiply that by 12. Maybe it does better in a different month. Maybe it does a little bit worse, but we're talking about real money here that got changed on a terms and conditions change, right? So that's why you see all these developers up in arms. How is Unity collecting the number of installs? And this is my first major red flag. We leverage our own proprietary data model and will provide estimates of the number of times the runtime is distributed for a given project. This estimate will cover an invoice on all platforms, right? So what do they say here? Because one of the things that developers were a little bit concerned about yesterday and we're asking Unity about is, okay, if you're tracking installs, are you sending data back to your servers? Is there some kind of privacy disclosure I need to make as a developer because you're doing something that I didn't know you were doing? And they say, no, we're gonna use our own black box algorithm tech to determine, okay, we're getting this little trickle of data from runtime somehow, or we're able to see through, I don't know, st Steam charts or something where games are, are available through our engine and we're gonna tell you what your installs are. Which again, if, if you're my client, you're sitting across the desk from me, I say, no, 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 no. Every time you're talking about royalties, which is what this is, this is a royalty on based on downloads or installs, you gotta have some kind of clear pathway, a clear mechanism for how that data is going to be collected by the party seeking funds, right? Ordinarily, when you've got a standard royalty for revenue or something along those lines, you would have the seller collect the information, right? They'd say, okay, we have this many downloads, we have this many purchases, we're the ones that know that because we're selling the product and now we'll tell you and then we'll pay that fee to you. Instead, Unity says, we're gonna use our own black, black box algorithm and we're gonna tell you what was installed and ask for money based on that. How you would even fight their calculation, I don't know because they're not telling you how they make it. And then go out and tweet and say the same thing. We leverage our own proprietary data model so you can appreciate that we won't go into a lot of detail. I cannot appreciate that from this perspective, right? If you're gonna charge me money based on the number of installs, I can't have your algorithm just eyeballing it and estimating, oh, it's about 2.3 million, right? That's a lot of money difference between 2.3 million and 2.35 million, for instance. So this is where I start to get really concerned that they haven't thought this fully through. How will I be invoiced? You'll be invoiced monthly based on the month's install data. Invoicing will be the same method as your Unity plan subscription. We're just gonna tack on a fee. Can I get a discount on the Unity runtime fee? We already know this answer is yes. Qualifying customers may be eligible for credits on the Unity runtime fee based on the adoption of Unity services beyond the editor. If you buy more stuff from us, we'll treat you better, which already looks a little skeezy, right? We've talked about this in other contexts in virtual legality. When you tie products together in a certain way, it can look like a restraint on trade that maybe the government doesn't like so much. I'm not saying that's happening here. This is more along the lines of skeezy rather than illegal, but it does start to look like maybe the fee you're talking about isn't quite as necessary as you're otherwise suggesting. How will we approach fraudulent or abusive behavior which impacts the install count, right? As people have pointed out, if you're gonna charge me based on installs, somebody that just really doesn't like my company could just install and delete and install and delete and install and delete and 20 cents starts to add up pretty fast on a process it doesn't take very long for a customer that doesn't like me to just kind of hit me with. So they say, well, we're, we can look for fraud and hey, we sell mobile ads, so we know what this looks like. We do already have fraud detection practices in our ads technology, which is solving a similar problem. So we will leverage that know-how as a starting point. We recognize that users will have concerns about this and we will make available a process for them to submit their concerns to our fraud compliance team. I don't know about you, I can't speak for you on this, but this doesn't give me a lot of comfort, right? Okay, we've got our black box algorithm going again. We're gonna stop the fraud. Don't worry, you're not gonna get those extra clicks. And if you've got a problem, we promise we're gonna put some kind of process together.
this is the kind of thing that really needed to be ready day one. They should have anticipated that this would be a potential pain point for their clientele, and they did not. Will this fee apply to games using Unity runtime that are already on the market? Yes, the fee applies to eligible games currently in market that continue to distribute the runtime. We look at a game's lifetime installs to determine eligibility for the runtime fee. Then we build a runtime fee based on all new installs that occur after January 1st, 2024, which is why you get that Cult of the Lamb tweet saying we're, we're deleting our entire application on January 1st. For more details on when the fee may apply to your game, see when does it take effect. Who is charged the Unity runtime fee? The Unity runtime fee will be charged to the entity that distributes the runtime. And more on this in a minute, but this is how they're trying to get out of the Game Pass question. And thank you very much, Trisha Lynn, for the gifting the five Hoglaw memberships. I just saw that out of the corner of my eye. If I missed anything, like I said, I apologize for missing that, but we'll talk more in the question and answer section of this Virtual Legality Live. Just want to get through all of this so we can talk about what Unity is doing. You have other developers here pointing out things like this. Unity silently removed their GitHub repo to track license changes, then updated their license to remove the clause that lets you use the terms of service from the version you shipped with, then insists games already shipped need to pay the new fees. After their previous controversy with license changes in 2019, after disagreements with Improbable, Unity updated their terms of service with the following statement. When you obtain a version of Unity and don't upgrade your project, we think you should be able to stick to that version of the terms of service. As part of their commitment to being an open platform, they made a GitHub repository that tracks changes to the Unity terms to give developers full transparency about what changes are happening and when. Well, sometime around June last year, they silently deleted that GitHub repo. April 3rd of this year, they updated their terms of service to remove the clause that was added after the 2019 controversy. That clause was as follows. Unity may update these Unity software additional terms. Flag that right there in your brain. We'll come back to that in a second. At any time, for any reason, and without notice. And those updated terms will apply to the most recent current year version of the Unity software, provided that if the updated terms adversely impact your rights, you may elect to continue to use any current year versions of the Unity software. Now, this clause is completely missing in the new terms of service, which sounds pretty bad, right? It sounds like, oh, they're hiding the ball on these various things. And we can take a look at these because they do link to their older versions here and see a couple of things. First, here's the Unity Editor software terms as of April 3rd, 2023. If we look through this, one of the things that jumped out at me is, although this particular Reddit thread says they didn't tell us anything and it was all silent, they do have this opening paragraph here that says we've changed things, including relating to data collection and modification of terms. So while they didn't provide a red line here, they didn't provide the changes and they got rid of their GitHub, which is not an obligation of theirs to maintain. They do say right up front in the very first sentence, we changed our modifi modification of terms language. And if you look at this document here in its entirety, you'll see that it only really goes through four sections and the fourth is definition, which really isn't a substantive section. But if we, go, if we look at the earlier version from January of this year, we see a lot of different sections in this very same document. So yes, they got rid of section eight here, which is gonna talk about modifications, but they got rid of basically everything that was in this particular document in order to make it more applicable to their industry product. Modifications, it did used to say exactly what that Reddit thread said, provided that if the updated terms adversely impact your rights, you may elect to continue to use any current year versions of the Unity software according to the terms that apply just prior to the updated terms. So that was a promise that Unity made, but I have a couple of things to add to that that make this a little bit less of a silver bullet than I think the Reddit thread implies here. And one of those is that, as I pointed out, the reference here is to 
software additional terms. This is a document that is ancillary, that supplements the main terms of service document that Unity has, which is just called terms of service and uh, has a lot more language in it, Unity terms of service. And we have a couple versions of that to look at with you all today. But uh, this additional software terms document is a supplement to that document, which generally means it doesn't override it. It works with that other document. And if I were their lawyer, one of the reasons why I would get rid of section eight, as we will see in a minute, is that it's ambiguous insofar that it conflicts with the provision in the main terms of service that Unity always had. Now, if I'm a developer, could I make a legal claim that says, well, I relied on that to my detriment and the fact that it's ambiguous is not my problem. I'm not expected to have a corporate lawyer look at every freaking document that I have to sign. Yes, I would be amenable to that position, but I do have to tell you these things from a legal point of view that when we look at the terms of service themselves, we see language like this. This is the current terms of service as of April 3rd of this year. By accepting these terms during your account registration, you accept and agree to these terms and to be a party of this binding contract. In addition, you may have an additional agreement with the Unity entity that supplements, amends, supersedes, or replaces these terms. And that can be in a side letter or as one of these other additional terms documents. And then when we get down to fees, it says the following. Fees and usage rates for certain offerings are set forth within the offering identification. So that kicks it out to another document, primarily when you're on a website and you're saying, yes, I agree to whatever the price is, as we saw from the Unity page here, right? This is free over here. It's not so free over here. It's very much not so free if you're an industry participant. And you go through those and that's what your price is going to be. And we can change those as we will, right? If we look at this document, Unity may add or change fees, rates, and charges for any of the offerings from time to time by notifying you of such changes and or posting such changes to the offering identification, which may include changes posted to the site. Unity will provide you with prior notice of any changes affecting existing offerings you have already started using and your continued use of any offering after the effective date of any such change means that you accept and agree to such changes. So this language here, as of right now, gives Unity the right to do what they're doing uh, with respect to the runtime fee. Subscription terms we have here, it automatically renews. If you do not cancel any subscription before the end of the current subscription term, your subscription will automatically renew. That's something that developers are going to want to pay attention to. The specific plan benefits associated with your Unity plan are available in the offering identification. And Unity may modify plan benefits from time to time in its sole discretion. So at the end of the day, this terms of service says we can change the price and we can change what's in the plan. And that's at our sole discretion. Is that something that's great? No, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that's great. I'm going to tell you that that's primarily normal. That when we talk about software contracts and user license agreements, terms of service, whatever it is that we're talking about here in virtual legality, you hear me say these various things about what's in the language and what these companies are allowed to do. A lot of the time, these contracts are going to be written in such a way that the companies have broad authority to do what it is that they will do. And you wind up in a position of trust, right? If anything happened with respect to Unity in the last 24 hours, I would say it was a breach of trust, right? You've got developers that have invested their time, invested their money, invested their efforts into a business model that they thought they could rely upon and then had the rug pulled out from under them seemingly at the last minute if their game's gonna go out in 2024. And so that means that they no longer trust their business partner here to keep things in a fashion that is normalized enough that they can make their budgets and they can determine what their future looks like in video games or otherwise. But as lawyers, I tell my clients, we're not in the trust me business. I look at this language and I tell you where the various areas are that they can do these things to you. And then you as a business person, as the client, 
have to determine whether you have a sufficient trust or closeness with your business partner to believe that they're going to hold things relatively the same, right? That they're going to keep things in such a fashion that you need them to be, that they're going to meet their obligations in a way that they're going to be able to help you realize your business ambitions. And here where I think Unity made the biggest problem is that I don't know that anybody can trust that they're going to stick to what they otherwise agreed to in the past, right? Continuing down with just this document, I don't know that I have highlighted anything else here, but we have a changes to offering section, which copies the fees section. Unity may change the price of an offering, including the renewal price of a subscription, and we will provide you with prior notice if we do so. And this document that we were just looking at is the prior notice, right? This, this is a notice kind of document. This is the FAQ, the, the actual press release, Unity plan pricing and packaging updates is a kind of notice. I would also expect them to send emails, but I don't know what they're going to do with respect to their developers here. They're giving notice here and it doesn't apply until sales are next quarter. So I don't think you really have an obligation if you're Unity to give much more notice than this. So I don't think that would hold for those that are potentially looking at a class action and the like. But I understand the frustration. Changes to terms. By continuing to access or use the offerings after we have provided you with notice of a modification, you agree to be bound by the modified terms. And you might say, Rick, that flies in the face of this bit of language that the Reddit pointed out was existing in the additional terms. And it does. This is where the ambiguity arises. But you might also say, Rick, you're looking at the current terms. What about the older terms of service, the legacy terms that were from January 1st, 2023? When we look at this and we find very similar language, right? If we scroll down far enough, reading contracts is fun, folks. To the maximum extent permitted by applicable law, Unity reserves the right from time to time to modify these terms without prior notice. If the modified terms are not acceptable to you, your only recourse is to cease using the service. Your only recourse, right? That cannot comport with the language that says, if the updated terms adversely impact your rights, you may elect to continue to use any current year versions of the Unity software. So at bare minimum, when we look at these two documents as of January 1st of this year together, they can't both be true, right? So that's an ambiguity. That's what we try to avoid first and foremost when we're writing contracts in, in legal land. But it does mean that people that had made games and looked at this bit of language and said, oh, well, okay, well, I can at least be okay that if I don't update it, I can get this older language. And if they change something really weird, I'll be okay. Could be deemed to have detrimentally relied upon it, which is a specific term of art I'm using to highlight where there could possibly be a legal avenue for folks that get really angry about these things. You'll note that this document is covered under California law. I didn't bring up the highlight for that, but I've pulled up a California secondary source here, which is a lawyer, a law firm in California that's talked about promissory estoppel under California law. Now, this is a secondary source. I always warn people, if you were doing this, if, if you needed your counsel to help you with this, if you were thinking about bringing a class action, you'd have this done primarily. You'd go and look at these specific laws yourself with your lawyer, but we can use this for purposes of our conversation today. In California, under the doctrine of promissory estoppel, a promise which the promisor should reasonably expect to induce action or forbearance, stopping action, on the part of the promisee or a third person and which does induce such action or forbearance is binding if injustice can be avoided only by enforcement of the promise. The remedy granted for breach may be limited as justice requires. So promissory estoppel is the notion that you can't just change the deal if somebody else relied upon it. And this all kind of goes back to the notion of in order to have a valid contract in the United States, both sides have to give something up. That's called consideration. And so where that's a problem to prove, you can say, well, 
look, you made a promise to a party that you were going to give them the unity tools and that they weren't going to have to pay money. And they spent four years of their life and in investment and in education, learning unity tool set and getting ready to build a game. And then you change the pricing right at the end. It's possible that when you have language like the ones that the, the Reddit thread identifies here in section eight of the additional software terms as of the start of this year, someone could have looked at that and said, yes, I'm going to invest my time and efforts. And by changing that without kind of making it known and then changing the fee structure here in September of 2023, it's possible you might bring a claim. I'm going to tell you this though, it's, it's a tough claim to make. It's what we call an equitable claim. You're acting outside the four corners of the document. You have to go and essentially throw yourself on the concepts of justice and mercy of the court system and hope that things turn out all right for you. Now, if other people are looking at a different legal action, it's not immediately apparent to me what that might be here because again, in the current terms of service that Unity has, they're pretty much covered for changing things, right? They have the right to change prices. They have the right to modify what it is that you're looking at. And at, at the point in time where you're looking at a document that says we may change the price of the offering and we will provide you with prior notice and your only, your only option is to stop using our stuff, they've pretty much covered their bases in the contract that you're looking at. Now, as can be expected, Unity got some pushback here and Steven Totillo of Axios started asking them questions yesterday afternoon. I got some clarifications from Unity regarding their plan to charge game developers per game install. If a player deletes the game and reinstalls it, that's two installs, two charges. Same if they install on two devices. Charity games and bundles are exempted from fees, right? There's a number of areas that are a potential problem for developers. One of those is things like humble bundles and other things that make money for charity that maybe don't make money for the developers, but still count as a download and an install on some computer somewhere. So Unity said, yes, if they reinstall, you're going to get charged each time but charity games we're going to cover in some fashion. You're going to have to tell us probably about what is a charity release. Then as the day went on, Unity kept getting hit by various people that were concerned about these things and changed their tack a little bit. I got a major update from Unity about their new fees. Unity regrouped and now says only the initial installation of a game triggers a fee. Demos mostly won't trigger fees and devs are not on the hook for Game Pass. We'll talk about all those things in just a minute, especially that last one, because I think that one's probably pretty ridiculous, but you can certainly understand why folks were concerned about gamers in particular, just deciding to take their negativity out on a game developer, right? It's not like we haven't seen review bombs for anything in the gaming industry, right? Gamers in general are sometimes a little bit more inclined to act out on things that they don't like in a fashion that could essentially bankrupt some of these developers if those developers had too many installs under this model. But again, this all goes back to the red flag that I pointed out earlier, which is that who knows where these installs are and how many they're coming because Unity is just going to say a number and they're not going to tell you how they got to that number at all. After initially telling Axios earlier Tuesday that a player installing a game, deleting it and installing it again would result in multiple fees, Unity's Mark Witten told Axios that the company would actually only charge for the initial installation. He hoped this would allay fears of install bombing where an angry user could keep deleting and reinstalling a game to rack up fees to punish the developer. But an extra fee will be charged if a user installs a game on a second device, say a Steam Deck, after installing a game on a PC. And I just am sitting here and I don't know whether they have the resolution to tell that there's an install on a Steam Deck and a PC. Like they aren't saying exactly how they're figuring out what the install number is at all. Right. That big black hole, in my understanding, is a big worry for anybody entering into a financial commitment with a company like this in the tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. Right. I don't know how you're going to tell me what that number is is a big, big problem. And as a big, big problem, Unity 
should expect, and we expect, its main competitors to really seize upon that problem, which, of course, Epic Games and their Unreal Engine product did almost immediately. Putting out a tweet yesterday that said, we only succeed when you succeed. Our 5% royalty model only kicks in after your first million dollars in gross revenue, meaning that if you make a million million and one dollars, you owe us five cents per title. Also, revenue generated from the Epic Game Store will be excluded from that 5% royalty, right? They have that same kind of slightly skeezy, yeah, if you use our stuff, you get a better deal. You don't need to worry about the long tail either. Even if you pass the million dollar mark for a single title, if that title grosses less than $10,000 for a calendar quarter, then you don't owe us any royalty payments that quarter. They have a threshold at both the quarterly level and at the lifetime level. Making a game for Oculus, you're in luck because you don't need to pay UE royalty for the first $5 million for each game on the Oculus store. And get this, with the Epic First Run program, if you release your game first on the Epic Game Store with a six-month PC exclusivity, you just get all the net revenue, 100%. Just take all the money, right? And this is, I tweeted out, this is good PR, right? They're doing the right thing. And that's not to mean that I suggest that you go with Unreal instead of Unity, because as folks that have been in virtual reality for a while know, it's not like Epic that makes the Unreal Engine is entirely without untrustworthy moments, right? We have free Fortnite here as a highlight of what is one of the longest series on this channel, which is Epic suing Apple and Google after they violated the contract with those particular platforms and then saying, hey, we're going to sue you in federal court and cost you millions of dollars in legal fees, even though we're the ones that breached the contract. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Epic is better. I'm going to tell you that their advertising is good as of yesterday. And when you look at the actual license they put forth, it makes a lot more sense. This Unreal Engine end user license agreement applies to your use of Unreal Engine, Epic's real-time 3D creation tool, again, for making games. If we scroll down here, you will never owe us a royalty payment under this agreement unless a product directly generates more than a million dollars US in gross revenue. If we make changes to this agreement, you are not required to accept the amended agreement and this agreement will continue to govern your use of any licensed technology you already have access to, which sounds a little bit like that language that Unity got rid of. Now, I will note, however, the next sentence says, if we make changes to this agreement, you will not be allowed to access certain Epic services or download the licensed technology unless you accept the amended agreement. So if you make changes and you're still in a live environment that requires Epic Unreal access, you're still gonna have to accept the new terms. But if you don't, if your product is done, you're not otherwise accessing, it looks like you can lock in what the terms were originally. And that's what people were asking for with respect to that Unity language that we talked about earlier. You agree to pay Epic a royalty equal to 5% of all royalty revenue, meaning all worldwide gross revenue attributable to each royalty product minus the allowed exclusions. That includes gross revenue resulting from any and all sales of a royalty product, resulting from any and all in-app purchases, from any Kickstarter or other crowdfunding campaign, from any advanced payments on a royalty product, or when received in connection with a royalty product's inclusion in a streaming subscription or other game delivery service. Right? If you make money from a Game Pass or a PlayStation Plus or wherever else you might put your game, then that's money that the product made, and so we're owed a royalty on it. Now, how do we figure out what that number is? Well, here's the $10,000 quarterly cap, revenue attributable to a royalty product from a calendar quarter, which is less than 10 grand, doesn't doesn't accrue royalty revenue. How do we figure out what you owe us? Within 45 days after the end of each calendar quarter, you must report the royalty revenue to us on a per product basis and pay us 5% of the royalty revenue. This is normal. You're the one that's going to be in the best position to know. You're going to send us that information and you're going to pay us 5%. And then later on, we're going to have an audit right. We're going to be able to check your books and records if we think you're doing us wrong. 
on that, right? Records and audits. But that's a normal way of looking at a document like this. It's a normal way of putting forth an agreement like this, is having a royalty rate on revenue. And Unity says they want to avoid that to, so that you can make the most money if you're free to play and you're making money on cosmetics. But they ignore the other end, which is where game developers get concerned, which is that they get these downloads, they get these installs, they don't have the right amount of money that they're receiving after they pay for the publisher, the platform, any other tools that they're using to give Unity 20 cents on each download when millions and millions of games can be downloaded through these services or otherwise. Now, getting back to the Game Pass question, I did want to flag one other thing on Axios here. They say, as for Game Pass and other subscription services, Witten said that developers like AgroCrab would not be on the hook as the fees are charged to distributors, which in the Game Pass example would be Microsoft. To which I say, oh yes, Microsoft would definitely just take on that bill, no problem, you'll never hear from them again, no worries at all, right? Because that's exactly how sales tax works. If you've ever thought about this, you go to a store, right? You buy something, your receipt has a little indicator that says sales tax. Did you sell anything? No. Who sold you something? The Target, the Best Buy, the Meyer, wherever it is that you bought something, they are the ones that sold you something. And yet you're paying sales tax, why? because when you've got a fee like that, they just pass it directly along to you. You pay sales tax even though, you're the, even though you're the purchaser and they're the seller because they can just pass that along dollar for dollar. There is literally no way that Microsoft or any other subscription provider is not just going to pass along the fees that a third party tool is asking for for otherwise downloading their game. In fact, I would be surprised if the current Game Pass contract doesn't have language that says that you'll owe them for any pass through fee that is owed to a third party tool provider or otherwise. And if it didn't yesterday, it does today. Believe me on that. So this is ridiculous. Microsoft is not going to eat this fee. The, the developers are going to, and the ones that the ones that are looking at this understand that, right? They pay sales tax. They, they understand that Microsoft is just gonna pass it along dollar for dollar, and that's what's gonna happen with that particular fee. So this is a ridiculous answer. Oh, we're gonna charge Microsoft, so you don't even have to worry about it. No, no. That's not how that's going to work, but that's okay. We understand you know, you're, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. Now this rock is of your own self-creation, but that's where we are right now. And so people ask me about the Xbox situation. They ask me about the Reddit thread. They asked me about whether or not the, this was legal. And certainly in the black and white language of the contract as it sits today, it appears that they are covered, but there are questions of timing and older versions, especially for games that have been made and and finalized a while ago, well before this change was made. So on those topics, I think I've covered them here, but I wanted to give everybody an opportunity to ask questions or otherwise leave comments because I know there are, there are hundreds of messages that I got on this and I can't cover them all in a format like this. So if you are in the chat, if you've got a question, flag it with questions. If you, if you made a super chat or something else, I'll try to find it right now, but otherwise just let me know and then we will call it a virtual legality for the day. Marcel, thank you for the super chat. Wondering if they will push the fee for updates. Will they push it for updates? I don't I don't think I understand that. Will they increase it in updates? Will they push it? I mean, they're already pushing it right now. I think we know that. But I think that I think that Unity is going to continue down this road, right? One of the things I wanted to flag that I kind of skipped past real quick was this notion of why did these terms get changed, right? The Reddit thread focused on the fact that Section eight went away, but as we talked about, a lot of sections went away. And if you look at the top of this terms of service, as it stands right now, the editor software terms, they say, we posted the update to change these things primarily because of their new industry offering. And they send you to a fact that looks like this. What is an industry customer? 
An industry customer is a non-games, non-entertainment customer. Specifically, we have distinguished industry customers from educational games and entertainment customers as Unity Industry is a new bundled offering that is tailored to industry customers for which specific terms will apply. So they changed this not just to hide the ball on a fee coming later, but because they're trying to focus in on what I would argue, seemingly from the actions that they have taken, is their preferred business model, their preferred customer, right? Every company is focused on a specific demographic in their customer base they're trying to aim their offering to. So yes, it's not just that industry costs $5,000 per seat, it's that they've got the margins there, they've got the expertise there, presumably they're trying to move people over out of student and hobbyist tab, out of personal and into pro, into enterprise, into industry. And part of that is happening, we saw that across the year. So yes, they're making this change, it's ridiculous for game devs, but honestly, if, as I look at this, I look at a situation where I'm not so sure Unity wants to be in the business of supporting game development as their primary focus anymore. They are focused on the industry. They're focused on non-entertainment, non-educational uses. And I think you'll continue to see changes that maybe don't make a lot of sense to the video game side of things, because at the end of the day, I'm not sure that they want to be on the video game side of things as their primary, primary revenue model. Hogue, I think updates refers to game updates. Sometimes I have to re-download or reinstall the full game if the update servers hate me. Yeah, that could be, right? They, they push the fees on those. Again, I just don't know that they have the resolution for understanding where those installs are happening, right? Like, I think it looked to Axios, looked to Steven Totillo, like they changed tag, like they reversed course. But I'm not sure that's, in fact, the case. I still think that their algorithm thinks we're going to go and get money for every install, but the algorithm also isn't going to pick up every kind of double install or every kind of install that's partially done and, and reflects an update or something along those lines. So I think he probably got told by his tech people that we don't necessarily have that granularity. And now we're going to go forward and say that you're not going to get hit by a double install. But I don't know. Again, we don't have enough information to properly judge. So I can give the benefit of the doubt in a lot of places, but I can't for what it means when there's an install that you counted as unity which is how we arrive at a situation like this bill zoakin says i just don't get how this tailors to their more industrial push outside of just games think an organization that sells something built in unity they sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars but few numbers of installs i i think it pushes towards industry because the rates are much better on industry right if we look at those different things they they have they have to get to a million of dollars and a million installs before this triggers it all and then once it triggers, it's less money overall for the people that are paying it, right? The Unity Enterprise is what maxes out at 12 and a half cents per install. That's significantly less than 20 cents per install when we're talking about these big numbers of installs, right? So I think you're just pushing people into something that makes more sense on the aggregate and people that are, that are budget concerned, that are freaked out about massive success on installs might overpay at the front end because they're doing math that they can't possibly know based on a calculation that they can't possibly know. So you have all sorts of incentives for bad behavior here. And that's where I start to get worried as a lawyer, right? I wanna make sure that you're all paddling in the same direction, that everybody is in agreement on what success is. And this starts to look like maybe we're not in total agreement as to what winning is in this particular environment. Burf90, thank you for the super chat, says I think Marcel meant every time a game updates, is that a new download and another fee? It shouldn't be, although I think it's a fair question. One of the things that they clarified to Axios was that demos wouldn't count because they're a separate package, right? This is essentially a separate game. Updates to a given game should be the same package. 
So it shouldn't trigger multiple times, but I can't answer this for you definitively any more than Unity can, right? Unity says, we're not gonna tell you anything about our proprietary technology. And that's where I say, nope, we're not talking about this anymore as a lawyer, right? I have nothing against Unity. I play a lot of really good Unity games. Uh, developers are amazing with all sorts of different engines. But as I sit here looking at this, that we are gonna count it on a proprietary basis and we're not gonna tell you how we do it. That's a non-starter for me. That is a non-starter for me. Any other questions or comments? I love having these conversations with you. Here's Louis Proctor, who asks a lot of good questions on Twitter. You should give him a follow. Regarding data collection for install tracking, in the EU, customers must have an opt-out. Other jurisdictions need it for the EU LA. What data collection is in existing games without dev consent knowledge? That was what one of the developers asked. I think Unity could have a, a callback button in their, in their software that they aren't telling people about. But yes, you're right. That would be a violation of certain laws. And they wouldn't want to admit it here, certainly. But they're telling us that they're going to analyze things in a certain way. I suspect the runtime data doesn't send a callback as much as it interacts with their own services in a specific way. And so they can tell from the volume of the, the runtime interactions what the level of installs should be without actually violating those privacy laws. That's what about my I would guess from what they've described. But that's guessing and to the benefit of the doubt for them, right? So... I think that's a possibility they should be worried about is that there's potential violations of privacy data collection laws across the globe. But Unity isn't saying that's what's happening here. They're really saying that we can guess as to what the installs are based on something else they're not telling us. No, that doesn't really make it better. Or as Louis says, zero transparency on data collection is certainly a red flag though. Indeed. How are you coming up with this number? We're not telling is no good. No good at all. Fully agreed there. It would be fairly trivial to sniff that callback and then get in so much trouble in the EU that they couldn't even entertain, entertain the idea. Yes, if we're assuming that you're not completely silly, I agree with you entirely, Gabriel, that that would be a, a silly thing for them to have done. But one of the big problems with this is not even so much the status as of right now or whether 20 cents or 12 and a half cents is right or anything like that, whether the threshold's right. It's really a matter of trust as to both what the company is doing now, what it will do in the future, and what it has told us about what it is doing, right? That's, that's where you really get into questions. Or as you say, not that this proprietary system for guessing installs gives anyone any sense of security. It does not. Right? And I joke about this with some of my colleagues, or I've even joked about it here in virtual legality, but YouTube you know, sells ad space. You might've seen an ad coming into this video. You might see it later. I don't know. YouTube just puts things where it wants them. And then it tells us what we earned on it. We don't get a full audit. We don't get an itemized report of what things sold for at auction, how many people watched, whatever. They just say, here's the money we owe you. And we say, okay, YouTube, thank you. And we don't have the audit rights that I would want in a given environment for my clients in this capacity, right, as a video maker, as a content creator. But I have a certain amount of trust that I've done this now for a long enough period of time and things seem to follow a certain ebb and flow that if they are doing something deleterious to my money, if they are doing something that is really violative of the law or trustworthiness, that they've been doing it on such a systematic basis, I couldn't tell in any event. So here we are, right, working with YouTube, working with platforms, it's all fun for everybody. But yes, I agree with you, Gabriel. And thank you so much, everybody, for the comments. Let me know if you've got anything else. Hook laws is breaking any laws that you know, like Australian law. 
I will tell you that Australian law tends to be very consumer protection focused. So if it were going to violate a law, that would be one of the ones that I would look at. But I am not an Australian lawyer. I'm the wrong person to ask on specifics there. Definitely. Does browser and streaming games also get counted each time they are launched, by the way? Yes. Well, it wouldn't surprise me, but wherever runtime is being used, I suspect it's going to have some kind of effect on these various things. And that's one of the places where Unity, at best, doesn't look like they thought how people would feel about this through. Burf says, I guess this means no more demo versions, no more updates. I don't think so. I think demo versions are still going to be uh, available primarily because there was such a kind of outcry yesterday that they made clear that demo versions that don't include the full version of the game within their package are still going to count as essentially a separate product, right? You're going to have game and you're going to have game demo and game demo probably won't go over the threshold numbers. I would think certainly for revenue, right? You're not charging for your demo usually. And so that's going to protect demos from this particular question, says Unity. But again, you have to trust that they're going to have good faith and fair dealing even with those kinds of statements. And I'm not sure that exists for many people as part of this conversation. Shell says, I know very little about the video game industry, but enjoy your videos as you explain the topics well enough that even a novice like me can understand the issues presented. Thank you. Thank you, Shell. I really appreciate it. That's the idea here is that hopefully even if you don't know anything about engines or Unity or video games, that we can have a conversation that explains what the controversy is, why you might be seeing it so much in your social media or on your timelines, and why people are upset. Jero says, by the way, Hogue, thank you for making me aware of this. First time hearing of it. That is the idea. I am very glad to get more information and better information out there. Louis says, not legally relevant, but a summary of Unity exec compensation. I have no doubt it's very high. I, I, I have no doubt of that at all. Um, but, you know, I am a corporate lawyer. My tilt is towards some of these things occasionally being justified. Certainly, you know, making money on a product that you put out there is okay with me, but you do have to treat people fairly in order to make your business a success. Ogloss says, the difference with YouTube is that they aren't charging you money. They are not. So them just guessing and giving you random amounts of money isn't as egregious. Undoubtedly true. Unity is charging so you'd expect real numbers. I, I mean, when, and yeah, YouTube's never going to ask me for 20 grand. Knock on wood, right? It's amazing, actually, that they went out with that particular example, right? Generally speaking, when you're doing examples like that and you're setting this up for a fact, you try to make it look a little bit more reasonable because you're setting the numbers yourself. But even them setting their own numbers came out with 20,000 plus US dollars. So yeah, YouTube is not going to ask for me for 20 grand. So absolutely, it's a concern. Don't mind me highlighting my own Nightbot posts here. How scary is this for devs? I've heard there's a no Unity Projects policy now. If I were dev, I'd be very concerned, right? I mean, I would let it simmer. I would let it percolate a little bit more. I would wait for essentially the returns on quarter one of 2024, but I wouldn't be moving forward with high investment and in our high capital projects with Unity right now. I don't think they are a trustworthy business partner, right? I said I'm not in the business of trust me, but business people have to be. Business people have to be willing to trust a business partner to get them across the finish line, right? You're using tools, you're using third-party platforms, whatever it is that you're doing, you have to have a certain amount of trust 
they're going to work with you to the end of your project. And right here, right now, I don't think you can sit here and say Unity is a party that I want to be in business with. That's where I would be concerned if I were a game developer. Absolutely. Here's dad, Thomas Hogue. Hi, Rick. Microsoft here. We will happily accept any additional fees so that our user community is properly protected. Indeed. Yes, I am sure. I am sure. Satya Nadella is getting on the horn right now saying, Unity, yes, rack up those fees. We got this covered. Don't you worry about it. We are okay with that. There's no way we would ever pass along that cost to the people that are making the games because why would we? We're, we're a big company. We can just eat it. That's definitely what big companies do, right, Dad? And I agree with Nashay Jones here. Papa Hogue is hilarious, right? Pretending to be Microsoft. Somebody's going to believe that. Somebody's going to believe I have a dad that works at Microsoft now. This is not true. Louis says, yep, the financials are one thing, but the loss of trust is the real problem. That's, that's exactly where I think this hits. <laughs> Natalie Wisco commenting on my hair. Hi, Natalie. Hope you're doing well today. One of the Unity CEOs sold stock a week ago. Could it be relevant? Maybe insider trading? I, I can't speak to that because I don't know the details of it. It's possible, right? You're not really allowed to trade on information that you know that the public doesn't know. And this would be a massive change in structure that could trigger certain obligations at the securities level. But again, lawyers don't like to speak in hypotheticals because there's so many levers and buttons you have to hit on these various things that I can't speak to that with specificity on this right now. All right, ladies, that's enough of that. Um, okay, so everybody, thank you so much for the questions and comments. If you have anything more, I'm sorry I missed it. If I missed any of the super chats, I hope I didn't. I think I grabbed them all. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but I really like doing these live and having these conversations with you. I hope everything worked out well uh, on my end with the microphone and everything else. And I will see you on the very next episode of Virtually Gaudy. Please like, subscribe, look at the Patreon, look at the player, become a member on the channel, do all the happy things that otherwise make YouTube happy, that help this channel grow, and that help these bits of information and videos get out there. Thank you so much. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.